This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insight on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Spring Conversations. Embodying your wisdom and your courage is the path to experiencing freedom and a more authentic life. But what does it mean to embody your wisdom, courage, and freedom? The goal of some spiritual paths is to transcend the body in order to achieve enlightenment or some higher state of being. But in a yogic, tantric tradition, your body is the gateway to wisdom. Your body is the place from which you experience this lifetime. Your physical body and your senses allow you to experience light, temperature, hunger, color, sound, pain, and pleasure. Your energy body pulses and breathes and creates space for the movement of emotions. And your mind is seated in the body, having a constant dialogue with the sensations and emotions, changing the way you perceive what is happening in any given moment. There is a deep wisdom in all of this, and there is an innate wisdom in the body, a wisdom that exists beyond words and thoughts. The body often knows the truth of our experience before our mind has a chance to process it and alter its meaning. Learning to listen to your body gives you access to this wisdom. For this reason, Callista Ocean teaches embodied practices like yoga, movement, and breathwork to support others in reconnecting with their bodies and the wisdom within. She uses guided visualization and journaling as a way to access personal insight. And most importantly, she invites others to take action to bring their inner wisdom into being to embody it in their day-to-day life. In her book, Exploring Your Inner Landscape, you're invited to take time to explore the terrain of your soul, to find your beauty, courage, and freedom within. Each week, you'll be invited to do weekly practices, reflect on journaling prompts, and take actions to live a life that feels more authentic and aligned with your wisdom. Valeria interviews Callista Ocean. Callista Ocean, RYT200, is a writer, a mother, a yoga teacher, and an adventure seeker. Her personal yoga practice taught her to listen to the wisdom of her own body and led her deep into the landscape of her soul. Besides supporting her health and well-being, this journey inspired her to make changes, a series of changes, both big and small. 
In 2018, after 18 months of planning and an unexpected battle with early-stage breast cancer, she sold her home and left her full-time job in Southern California to live in the world and finish writing her first novel. A sense of adventure and a willingness to trust compelled her to let go of the life she knew in order to reach for the life she knew was possible. She's still exploring and inviting others to do the same. Callista is passionate about inviting others to journey through the beauty of their inner landscape by practicing yoga and self-reflection. Her workshops and private sessions combine yoga, breathwork, dynamic movement, and visualizations to support those who long to reconnect with their body in order to remember their own wisdom. Here is the interview with Callista Ocean. In your own words, who is Callista Ocean? You know, that's that's an answer that probably changes every day. But I, I guess I would begin by saying that I'm a mother because that's an important role. Um, I have two amazing uh, independent creative adult daughters that I'm really proud of and enjoy spending time with. I'm also a writer, obviously, which is why I'm here today. And um, I'm a writer who isn't really constrained by genre. So I actually wrote my first novel last year and then published uh, this book on self-reflection. And I'm working on a memoir project right now. Wow. So yeah, there's a, a lot of things that would define me. Um, I'm a seeker. I'm an adventurer. I love learning. I love travel. And, um, and I love to share my journey with others through my, my writing and my, and my interactions with them. Right. Sounds wonderful. So I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned off-record before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Explore Your Inner Landscape. My first warm-up question is, what is life? To me, life is a journey. So it's this crazy journey that we all get to take. And, you know, we take it in the context of our body. So while there is still life in our body, we're experiencing the world and experiencing others um, through our senses and through our emotions. So it's kind of this... uh, really wild adventure to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of defining the way, if life can be defined, right, Callista? Um, do you think that life has an opposite? I think if I were to still use that metaphor of a journey, um, the opposite to me would maybe be not taking the journey, you know, stopping or not experiencing all there is to experience, Getting, you know, giving up or getting distracted, staying stagnant. So, to me, there's just so much to experience, all the tragedy and excitement, all the love and outrage and beauty, and to get distracted or to not be out in the world and be interacting with others. I guess that to me would be the opposite of life or of living. Yeah, yes. You ask a very interesting question in your book that I think related to joy, and I'm going to ask you the same question related to life. If you were to choose a color for life, what would that be and why? Oh, color for life. <laughs> I, you know, it's a great question. It's an interesting question. Um, as you know, in the book, I, I chose orange as the color of joy. And as I reflect on it mm-hmm. now, I think the color yeah. that comes to mind when I think of life is white. 
And I mean, white in that sense of, you know, a blank page or of all the colors in the spectrum coming together and it having the space to take on other colors and blend well with other colors. So maybe just a brilliant, expansive white light. Yeah, white light, right. I'm kind of trying to uh, visualize that. Um, yeah. Speaking of joy, what is joy to you? And how is joy different from happiness and pleasure? So uh, joy to me would be, uh, other words that come to mind, I guess, would be like a bliss or an ecstasy. It would be um, a pulse or an energy. And I wouldn't differentiate it much from love. I think it's very closely related to love. But I would see it as, to me, I experience it as a moment where my heart feels open, um, open to life and wants to just reach out and touch everything and touch everyone. It's yeah, kind of that energy to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, I absolutely love that. And you, you connected joy to love. That's a very interesting connection too. So I guess uh, I won't ask you the question, what is love? But I will ask another one. <laughs> do you believe in unconditional self-love? I do. Um, I, I don't think it's something that's easy to come by. I think it's something that that most people I know uh, struggle with in terms of forgiving themselves for being human and seeing themselves as they are with all of the light, all of the shadow, you know, all of that, you know, all that's involved in being human. But I do think we're capable of unconditional self-love, but it's a, it's, it's a journey, much like, you know, like I mentioned, life is a journey. The book is kind of a journey. It's this journey of, you know, continuously finding a sense of self-compassion and learning about yourself and then relearning about yourself as you change. But I, I do think it's possible. Right. Would you say that the work you do, the book you wrote, is a practice of unconditional self-love? There's certainly practices in it that would um, support that unconditional self-love. But I think to me, it's more a journey of self-exploration, of seeing what's there and getting really real about what's there. But I think that beyond that, right, if we're willing to explore ourselves, we'll find a lot of beauty, I think sometimes more than we expect to. And then we'll find those dark places. And, and can we allow those places to be there, you know, and practice that self-compassion and be able to have the capacity to love ourselves as we are without striving to fix or change. So there's certainly the potential there to find that. And I think the book is really just about the exploration process and, and getting to know yourself better. Yeah. And to me, that has everything to do with um, self-love or self-compassion or unconditional self-love even, because I connect this journey of self-discovery to understanding once we get there, like you mentioned about those dark parts of us, when we get to understand them, then that's when love arises. Uh, it has been the case for me. Um, how is knowledge different from wisdom? From my perspective, knowledge is about learning and understanding things intellectually. Um, and I think that's important. I mean, it's, you know, I enjoy gaining knowledge, learning about things, um, deepening my understanding of of things and the way the world works. Um, but wisdom to me is more about intuition or inner knowing and has, to me, it's it's how we take that knowledge and then maybe translate it through our 
through our inner knowing, which that inner knowing would be to me a, a connection to consciousness, to the divine. So many names we could give to that. But that wisdom is a percolation of the of knowledge and a way that we embody our knowledge and our knowing and bring that out into the world, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, yeah, it does. And you talk a lot about the wisdom in the body. I have questions for you later on. But for now, a question came to mind. When we talk about intuition and consciousness and divine force, do you think it's somehow localized in the body or around the body or outside of the body? Um, all of the above. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess that different perspectives, obviously, on consciousness or on God, so many names that we give to um, the divine. And to me, it's all pervasive. So it's certainly, to me, is there within the body. It is that consciousness or that energy that, you know, is our life, is at the core of our being. And it's, to me, beyond that. And it's, and it's even really beyond our understanding, but we experience it in different ways. It's that energy that connects all of us, um, that's moving through all of us, that's moving into us, that's moving out through us. So it would be, in my mind, both localized and absolutely universal and kind of a an ocean that we all swim in right that we're all a part of right that is such an interesting subject fascinating to me uh, this understanding where uh, consciousness really is or where god is i have conversations about near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences and a lot of times we hear, you probably heard about too, I'm sure, that the body is completely dead, but the person's able to see and experience consciousness without the body. Would you say that's a mystery? Yeah. And I mean, it's certainly a mystery to me. And I, you know, um, I don't, I certainly don't have an explanation. But again, going back to that sense that, you know, that the same consciousness, the same energy that within me is is the same that I am a part of or that I will merge into. Yeah, I, I do believe that there is consciousness outside of the body. But in this lifetime, that consciousness is manifested in my body. So that's why I talk about embodiment work and, and such a lot. And, and I have access to that through my body, through my senses, through my experiences and, and the way I'm experiencing life in my body. So, um, so it's to me both contained in the body, but certainly extends out and beyond the body and is connected to all that is from from my perspective yeah it's the play the kind of the dance of of life trying to understand itself i mean this is just incredible but it well if i can drop in it's interesting because there is a prompt a journal prompt in the book around death and that by exploring the concept of death we learn more about our life and really that came from you know, various readings and stuff I've done and teachers that I've had that have you do meditation on on death and that experience because it's something that we all experience at some point, right? We will have that experience. And, you know, I think my own hope, which is, you know, I, I went from being a child that feared death and I, you know, I mean, all of us have a certain innate fear of death to having a little bit more curiosity and hoping that when I do approach that transition, I can do so with awareness and be fully aware of the transition itself, because, you know, some people do have these near-death experiences and maybe get to experience it more than once. Um, but most of us really only get to have that experience once. And I'm 
I'm actually in an odd way, although I love my life and hope to live many more years, the concept of being fully present to that transition is one that's always intrigued me, actually. Yeah, I agree. And I love the way you say um, being curious about death and not afraid, right? So um, I have some, a few more warm-up questions and all the conversation we can have for ages, uh, you and me and so many others, I think comes down to one thing, one thing only, freedom. What do you think freedom is? What does it mean to you? Yeah, and I think it's such an important question. And it's interesting to me because I was, I've really actually been grappling specifically with that question for a couple of years, and um, which is partially what led me to sell my house and take off and traveled the world for a bit and live in the world. And I think in my mind, I thought I'd experience freedom by like breaking away from, you know, the social constraints of my day-to-day life, paying a mortgage, the corporate job. And I did. And I also didn't, which was interesting to me. So some of the ways that I have of being in the world that limit my own freedom, some of the internal things, you know, those followed me right out into the world. (laughs) And so I think to me as as I experienced that and as I continue to, to sit with that question of what is freedom, the definition to me has to do with space and it's space to move freely physically and to move freely, you know, emotionally and to move from a place that's authentic. So when I get stuck in the mind trap of living from a place of what people think I should be doing, how I think I should be acting, um, that's when I feel that constraint and that lack of spaciousness Versus when I can start to dissolve or let go of some of those stories and the shoulds, um, there's an experience, even if it's just moments or sometimes if I'm lucky, it's hours or days of flow of living as myself in the world of letting the external cir- circumstances be whatever they're going to be, but still being able to move as myself um, in that space. So I think, yeah. I love these associations that you just made, the words um, flow in space. And it also made me think about a comment you made right at the beginning of the conversation when I asked about who you are. And then you said a mother and you talked about your daughters and then you used the word independent. So I'm wondering if that has something to do with freedom, the freedom we are speaking of. I think so. As I look at, I certainly, as I look at them and I, I like to think, you know, that I'm also rather independent. Um, there's something about independence that to me is the courage to keep pulling back the layers and, and working to be more authentic and show up, you know, in a very real way in the world. So I think it's a trusting of oneself that kind of lends itself to independence or maybe independence leads to trusting oneself. It, go both ways right Um, but yeah there's yeah yeah there's definitely maybe the practice of embodying independence that contributes or or creates that space for freedom yeah and then this this word independence we often think about financial independence or being able to live without the opinion of others is this the, the way you also define the word independent it, you know, it could be. It's interesting. There's a couple pieces in that because there's actually, when you bring it up, there's a little resistance to, I love the word independence. And then um, I also love paradox. There's this independent piece where we can stand on our own two feet, whether it's financially or emotionally. But there's also, I think in all of us, a dependence on others. And sometimes I've actually been so independent that I forget 
about that dependence piece and that need for other people. So there's an, I think that's where the resistance came from because all of a sudden I was like, oh, I don't know if I like independence, but I do. (laughs) I do. And I also love the dependence piece. But on the financial note, it's really interesting because that's one of the pieces I'm resolving right now is as I went out into the world, I was in a good position, but I also still had some debts that were unpaid. And it is interesting how much, um, you know, the real world affects us. And that's one of the things I'm trying to clear this year is to simplify my life even more so that I have more freedom to move where I want to move and be where I want to be and work when I want to work because I'm reducing the amount of, you know, month-to-month bills, basically, which is just a simple real-world experience of of independence, which has been really interesting. Wow. Yeah, I like that, the idea of um, doing whatever we're doing when we want to do. But then, on the other hand, I also love to use the word paradox, because what about if you have so much work that you love to do that's helping so many people, but it's a lot of work and then you can't really move around that much and you don't have a lot of time for yourself. So life is life, isn't it? Everyone has their own purpose for some reason. And I love the idea of using that word again, flowing with life. Well, and I think from a non-dual perspective, right, you can be both free and have constraints. And if those are constraints that you love, then then even that act of working is in itself an expression of freedom in some way. Right, right. Oh, I love that, Calista. <laughs> I love that wisdom. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. So I have a few more questions for you. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? I think so many things come to mind and there's so much obviously going on specifically right now with, um, as we speak, pandemics and protests and and a world that is desperately, desperately needing change. And, um, and I, you know, if I was trying to, if it's hard to sum up what, what that need is, but I think it's around compassion and empathy, um, around really listening to each other and really seeing each other and really holding each other and recognizing that we are one human family. You know, when I traveled and went out in the world, people are people everywhere you go, despite language, despite culture, we're all human family. And I think we forget that um, over and over again. And so we're constantly creating circumstances like we're in right now to remember that and to come together and to support each other um, through the fear, through the anguish, to find a way together. So I think it's, it's really about compassion. Yeah, I love that. And a question came to mind about, um, you speak of change, that people are looking for change, and we often do. Uh, do you see a difference between change and transformation? I don't know if I do. I mean, certainly they're different words, and I'm sure there's a different energy to each. And certainly you can have change without transformation. I mean, things change states all the time. But I think reflecting on it now, transformation might be a level deeper than change. It's It's maybe more profound and expansive or a complete shift in being versus, you know, changing my lunch order isn't going to transform anything. (laughs) It's certainly a change. I could change the way I eat Uh and, you know, that might create some transformation in my body. But I think, um, I probably think in transformation in a little bit deeper terms and in changing a state of being or a way of being. Yeah. 
That's how I, I see it too, because yeah, change could happen, like you said, uh, without any effort. Simply everything's changing all the time, but then we can make change just because we are bored and then we're looking for, I don't know, new things to explore, but there's no really deep, uh, a deeper understanding. And I guess transformation, I, I do connect with that word, understanding and compassion. Yeah. Empathy, love. And I think it's interesting to see, like, certainly we're going to see some changes come about right now, some of them hopefully positive, you know, related to equality and and treating people with justice and fairness. Um, Some of them might be difficult, actually. There's changes happening related to the the, uh, virus and and the the way that we live. Um, But I think going back to your question about what the world needs, I think besides the changes that may happen, especially around equality and compassion, there is a deeper need for transformation for you know, changing our ways of being with each other and how we see each other. So yeah, I think there's a deeper need there. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I could say yes for the rest of the interview. (laughs) 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 So let's talk about your work. How did you become a writer, Calista? You know, I think I was born a writer. Um, As a young girl, I wrote poetry and I loved writing in school. Although I was very convinced because of my upbringing that writing was a nice hobby And so I didn't necessarily define myself as a writer, but it was always there. It never went away. It kept resurfacing. And as I did more spiritual work and started doing more writing, um, it became more a a part of how I was showing up in the world. So um, I actually had written a novel about 10 years ago. And when I was traveling the world, I took the time to rewrite and publish that. And then um, the, the book we'll talk about today was some writing I was doing personally, a, a journaling practice and wanted prompts to write to and wasn't finding anything really satisfying. So I ended up kind of creating my own and sharing that journey on social media throughout the year and then decided, or maybe less decided other than, I don't know if it was deciding or kind of feeling guided or new, oh, okay, I'm going to complete this. I'm going to do this for a year and then and then bring it together into a 52-week journey that can be shared um, as a book. So, so yeah, I'm just a writer by nature, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because writing, it's such a powerful tool, a method of self-discovery. And it's so healing. I mean, it's profound. My, from my own experience, it's just, uh, there's nothing like it. I guess other people like artists can say the same thing about painting or dancing, but there's something about writing. And I love your book, The Way It's Designed. It's beautifully designed. I love the patterns. I love the colors. I love the way you have the quotes and inspirations. And I have notes here, my favorite ones or topics that I'd like to ask you questions. But before that, um, what was the intention of writing the book, Explore Your Inner Landscape. And why did you use this word, landscape? Um, You know, the intention as I was writing was to, again, share my own journey. So I I was writing to it as I was sharing it. And it was, I think it just felt like as I was getting ready to come back from my travels for a bit and and exploring what was next, it felt like it was time to go within again. Um, And probably because I love hiking and being in the mountains and I'd spent part of the year in the jungle, um, I love nature and I have an affinity for landscapes. You know, I, I love being out in the world. It's just beautiful. And so there was just, um, 
I'd written a, a poem and there's a little bit of that in the book. And there was something about viewing the internal, you know, as a landscape. There is, you know, these rugged places and these beautiful, lush, jungly places. And there's just, you know, that metaphor worked for me. So, um, yeah, it just became fun to explore it in in those terms. Yeah. Yeah, you just said it relates to landscape and nature, right? It's a way of uh, looking within in the same way, although we are not separate from nature. We are nature itself. Um, what is to embody our wisdom, courage, and freedom? And how did you do it? I think the key word to me in that question is the word embody. When I first started practicing yoga and doing various, uh, working with teachers and being on what, you know, what I would call a spiritual path, it seemed like honestly there was a lot of emphasis, and certainly in my upbringing, there was a lot of emphasis on transcending the body and mind in order to connect to God or to the divine. Um, as though the only way really to connect to God was to have an out-of-body experience of some kind. Um, but as I continued uh, down the path, and especially with yoga and with tantra, there was a couple things I discovered around embodiment. And the first, which I think we kind of talked about, is that my body has this innate wisdom. It does have that consciousness within it. So when I'm willing to, you know, listen to my body, it's, you know, it's it's where I feel emotions. It's how I experience the world, and it's where I know my truth first. So there's an element of embodiment to me that's about reconnecting to myself and being able to listen to that wisdom that's already there. So that's a piece of it. And then there's the piece of bringing it out or embodying or moving into the world from that place. So when we talk about wisdom or courage or freedom, those things exist within me as an energy or as a pulse, um, as a feeling tone. And if I can connect to that energy in my body and allow myself to have a dialogue with it, to feel it, and then to move from that space, whether it's into a yoga practice or to dance from a place of courage or anger or love, you know, then I'm moving with that energy. I'm actually embodying it and feeling it, which makes it easier than for me to act from that place, right? And that's the ultimate embodiment to me is when we can take our courage or our wisdom and choose mm. to act from that feeling tone and to act from that truth wow. um, and, and to practice just like a yoga practice, to practice doing that over and over again until we are wisdom, we are love, we are courage. That's how we are freedom. You know, I'm embodying that by feeling it in my body and then moving into the world from that place. Wow. That's so amazing that you say that uh, because I asked the question, how did you do it? But just by looking at your picture, I can see that, the energy. Uh, that's amazing because just by looking at you, that comes across. It's like it calms the mind. By looking at your image, my mind was like automatically quieter. So that's very interesting how it's not just intellectualizing something or having an experience and, and then moving on. It's like you said, it's being it. Um, being those those ideas of those words we use. I'm wondering why so many of us ignore the body and its wisdom. You know, I, I think there's so many reasons. And one is that, you know, unfortunately, I think due to social conditioning, there's a lot of body shaming and there is a lot of conditioning to disconnect from our bodies, to connect to our phones, to, you know, to be in our minds a lot. And there's nothing wrong with the mind. But there is, yeah, I think, you know, in the world we live in today, there's just this um, 
there's this dismissiveness as the, of the body as this weakness, as this um, point of something that is, you know, shameful, especially when you talk about uh, sexuality, which is touched on in my book, or when you look at, you know, people trying to achieve some form of perfection in their body versus actually really loving that they have this body that moves them into the world and that does allow them to walk and to eat food and to hug another person. But I think, yeah, we're just very high tech and low touch Mm -hmm. these days. And the body is just kind of this necessary thing that that I don't think is really cherished or nurtured in in a way. So we're busy feeding our our minds or we think we're feeding our minds. Sometimes we're not really feeding our minds. We're <laughs> giving it a lot of junk food. <laughs> but yeah, true. I think there's there's just a general fear and almost shaming around the body. And again, even in terms of spiritual terms, there's often this like push to transcend the body to like, okay, where we meet God is outside of the body which is true. And paradoxically, it's also true that that God is also within the body. Right. We talked earlier about that. So in a way, the body helps the mind and the mind helps the body. Or, or it might be the balance uh, that we need to achieve, that understanding, that transformation, right, Calista? Do you think it starts, we have to change first the way we think? before we can make change to the body or embody qualities such as wisdom, courage, and freedom? You know, I think there's different paths. For me, the path is more around embodying first because I think I can think things to death. I can think and think and think mm-hmm. and not be able to embody <laughs> versus if I can find it within me first and feel it um, and get to know it without the words, without the thoughts just as the energy that it is as wisdom or as love without having to put a story or a container on it, then I'm being able to take that wisdom and expand it without having to define it or put words on it. So, and I think thinking's a great thing. I was a very academic child and I love reading books and, you know, but I, I, to me, transformation really starts more at a feeling tone level and at a very deep intimate level that, you know, would be about embodiment to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, dancing, it's such an amazing method. Have you heard about biodanza, I think? Biodance? Not specifically. Um, I, I participated in movement types, you know, ecstatic dance and stuff like that. Um, and I think it's all, you know, probably somewhat related, but yeah, dance is just such an amazing embodiment practice, right? Of embodying all sorts of emotion and energy and moving. And yeah, I love dance. (laughs) Right, me too. Um, Let me ask you a question that I wanted to ask you earlier. Why did you choose to become a yoga teacher? I was really inspired because it's been a long time now. When I first started doing yoga, um, I was just so inspired by the way it, it changed my life, transformed my life, right? Just reconnecting to my body and finding this stillness and this connection to myself started to change everything, started to give me the courage to make decisions I'd been needing to make and started to, we talked about uh, unconditional self-love, started to really connect to, wow, I have this amazing life, this amazing body. And I was so grateful for that, that the idea that maybe I could change one other person's life by sharing these practices it's something that was too hard to resist. So I was terrified because I loved my teacher so much and I thought, oh, I'll never mm-hmm, be as good right. as her. But it wasn't about being as good as her, right? It was about being me and showing up 
and sharing these practices in a way that was authentic to me. And so decision I've never regretted and continues to evolve. I continue to evolve as a teacher as I continue to evolve in my own practices. That's wonderful. One of the things I have interviewed a few people, not too many uh, yoga teachers, and I often ask the question about yoga becoming this practice, this exercise. It's that at some point there's no difference between going to the gym and lifting weights. Um, do you see that happening? That yoga has become a trend and then it's more like an exercise that has nothing to do with um, wisdom. Um, certainly that's happening. And interestingly, I started yoga at a gym, not at a yoga studio. Um, my personal perspective, which everyone may not agree with, is that the yoga itself has a wisdom in it, just like our body does. And that if that person is just like, you know, the old, I guess, proverb that says when the student is ready, the teacher will come. I think if someone is is a spiritual seeker and is open to that, that the yoga itself is working with energy in the body. It is opening up the energy channels mm. and it is reconnecting the person at some level. And that, you know, for some people that's going to lead them down a very spiritual path for some people, it may not look spiritual what we see them doing, but, you know, it defines spiritual. Spiritual really is about connecting to consciousness and that consciousness is within us. So, you know, I wouldn't say that someone that's just doing it for physical fitness isn't getting the spiritual benefits. We may just not see them in the same way that someone who ends up, you know, going to an ashram you know, <laughs> and living a very, very spiritual. There's this whole spectrum of spirituality that people are going to experience just by reconnecting with themselves and, and the practices have a wisdom of their own. That's true. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I guess it has been my own experience, just walking in the yoga class and not feeling comfortable with the um, competition. It was not like cooperation, doing together. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is not a practice I want to <laughs> engage in. Well, and there used to be, uh, when I first started doing yoga, there was somewhere in LA, there was yoga butt. And it was oh, wow. all about having like, <laughs> and obviously that didn't appeal to me. But, you know, if one person went to that yoga butt class and then got curious about yoga, and which is kind of what happened to me, I bought yoga for dummies after starting to take it in a gym. And then I learned more about yoga and got curious about the spiritual aspects. So maybe it's a gateway. You know, it might not, you and I might walk into a class like that and be like, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> but maybe someone else happens upon that class and then it leads them, yeah. you know, to a deeper exploration. So you never know. Right. No, I love that. I love your perspective. Um, that also sounds like wisdom to me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> in your bio, you said you wrote in 2018, after 18 months of planning and an unexpected battle with early stage breast cancer, she sold her home and left her full-time job in Southern California to live in the world. The last phrase, you have been actually using this phrase, live in the world, as if you're not living in the world before. So yeah, talk to me about that. <laughs> so I think live in the world is my nice way of saying I'm homeless. It just sounds better, right? <laughs> saying, you know, I, I did sell my home. I don't have a permanent home. I'm currently living with uh, a lover in Nevada. but. You know, I, I did spend a year, I was in 
Spain, and then I was in Peru and Costa Rica and made my way to Nepal and Tibet and India during that year. And so um, I guess versus seeing myself as a tourist, although some of those trips, you know, some of the shorter jaunts were to do a specific pilgrimage or a specific trip, but I had the opportunity to actually live for a few months at a time in different places in the world versus, I guess, what we can, you know, um, traditionally think of as as life, as, you know, usually you have, you rent an apartment or you have a home. I'm no longer living within those constraints, which is uh, an amazing adventure and sometimes is hard and a little unsettling. But but yeah, I, it wasn't that I wasn't living in the world before. That's a good, it's an interesting observation. It was more about moving out and, and living wherever I guess I land. <laughs> Mm, wow, I just interviewed another guest and she did the same thing. I think she used to work for, uh, yeah, Silicon Valley, a very intelligent woman. She made so much money and all, but then she got tired of everything and just left. And now she's a writer too, and very aware of that too. Renting places that are too expensive or buying places, being free from those constraints of having to pay bills and all that stuff. So... Yeah. And it's not for everybody, you know, especially the big, the big breakaway or whatever. I have people that have admired me for it and other people that are still shaking their heads thinking I'm crazy and, and it's all good. Right. Right. I love your wisdom, Kalista. You are the embodiment of that. So, you know, as I said earlier, and your voice, your image, the sound, your work, uh, the sound of your voice, your words. So everything's in alignment and that's, uh, wow, that's a gift humanity. Thank you. That means a lot to me to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, and it is. It is. Absolute is. Um, I guess my next question is about the profound lessons you have learned during your, um, your travels. You know, I think at the essence of what I learned, you know, there was, there's two things. One I, I alluded to earlier, which is that, you know, we're human family. We're more alike than we are different. And I think getting to visit different places, you know, be in different cultures, but be with people that are people that are, you know, with their families that are loving each other, that are doing their best and that are generally kind to each other. People are so kind and even kind to strangers and especially kind to travelers that there was just a really deep experience, not just a knowing in my head that we're human family, but allowing myself then to experience that was was a huge learning. And and I think the the other piece that was there for me at the essence of all of it was a sense of um, trust and a sense of safety. And I don't know if that's a learning or maybe just remembering something that I already knew at some level, but traveling on your own is a great way to learn to trust yourself. And I think just allowing myself to step out of the normal structure of my life without any real plan taught me to listen and taught me to trust. And I just ended up in so many beautiful places and meeting so many amazing people and over and over again, finding this place where I knew I'm exactly where I'm meant to be, like even in this moment right now wow. and really deeply being able to, to trust that and, and know that I'm held and sustained always. Wow. And that's uh, something that we all need a lot of practice on, <laughs> all of us, that trust. Yeah, it goes back to trust over and over and over again for me to... Because that's ultimately love to me, what I, I see, 
it's not about knowing what love is, although I ask the question. Maybe in a way of manifestations, how can we manifest love um, in this reality? But it's ultimately about trust, yeah. We don't need to see even what love is if we know that's there. And it's like you said, it's holding us. It's what sustains life in everything, all forms of life. So... Um, I have a few more questions for you. I have lots of things that I wrote from the book here. A lot of your quotes are amazing. The inspirations you have there, they are incredible. And I have so many. I can go through all of them. You speak of gratitude. I love the way you, before we start journaling or writing, you have the, that instruction, kind instructions before and after we begin writing. So that's great. Love the colors again. I mentioned before, but let me pick one or two. Um, you say here because you, your work is all about embodiment, feeling within the body. One of the quotes you say, my gut is rarely wrong. And it's an incredible lie detector. You said more than that, but that's the, the beginning of that phrase. Would you like to comment on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm probably not alone in in feeling that, right? Like most of us know when something is off, whether it's a lie or something else in our environment is not right. Our body has a lot of wisdom around that. And it's not the same for everybody, but for a lot of people, that can be that knot in the gut, you know, that that gnawing, like something's wrong, something's wrong, you know, there's something out of place. And um, I think sometimes we get in our heads and we rationalize away the gut feeling and, oh, okay, I'm, you know, I'm just overreacting or mm, wow. whatever we tell ourselves so that we can uh, remove the discomfort of that. But I have never ignored my gut and not regretted it. <laughs> Because it's usually turned out to be true that that the relationship was unhealthy or that the job was not the right one for me or, you know, any number of things. But especially, yeah, the, the lie detector piece, I've definitely, you know, recently was in, was in a relationship where I was lied to repeatedly and I knew. And yet I ignored the knowing for a, a long time until I couldn't ignore it anymore. You know, my body knew before my head was willing to accept it. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Right. And we, it goes back to that trust. We need to trust our intuition a lot more and just go with it with no doubts. Sometimes we let that happen over and over again, that the body's given us the sign and we allow it to repeat. Um, but in my case, it's more my throat. I can't speak <laughs> if something, if I'm not feeling comfortable. <laughs> Does it happen to you too, where it's not just the gut, but the voice you can't ex express yourself? It can be. And I think that's the lovely thing about it, right? You have this deep self-awareness that for you, it is your throat. For me, probably the sense that something's wrong is my gut, but definitely my throat. Nice. Um, maybe it's not my throat, but when, I, when I'm not finding my voice, right? When I, when I feel like I need to speak up, I don't even feel that in my throat. I feel it in my heart rate speeds up and my hands get kind of like almost twitchy. And, you know, there's a sensation I have when I know I'm wanting to speak up, but I'm afraid to. And you would think it would be in my voice, but for me, it's actually more in my chest. It's, it's my heart rate and stuff will, will speed up, you know, cueing me like, hey, speak up. <laughs> I'm not going to stop beating yeah. this fast until you open your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That could come from conditionings. In my case, a lot of childhood traumas and dealing with fear. You talk about gratitude, but I would like you to choose a passage in your book and read it. Let me take a look. So when you say read a passage, like maybe one of the quotes? 
Yeah, it could be. Yes, yeah. I'm flipping through my book right now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and again, I <laughs> I could spend forever flipping through, but the one that one of the ones I opened to and we so I'll come back to or I'll call back to we've talked about freedom and um I speak of freedom in here like as uh like this. So it says uh freedom feels like being carried on a current of light and air. I move with ease and grace. There's just enough resistance to keep me grounded, but not enough to keep me from moving quickly in any direction. There's also a softness in it, a relaxing that creates more space for me to breathe. And breathing, that's another, another thing we forget to do or breathe deep enough. In your work, you also include breath work, right, Kalista? I think I heard that somewhere here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, breath, breath is the way we connect the mind with the body, right? It's something we both we do both consciously and unconsciously. So when we can choose to do it consciously, it is our it is kind of that gateway to connecting mind and body and creating a sense of stillness. And, you know, oxygen is always good for us. So I think learning to create the capacity to breathe deeply and, you know, breathe fully is is definitely a boost to our well being on so many different levels. Yeah, and it's so simple. It doesn't have to be for too long. It doesn't take a lot of uh, effort. I love the breath work. I do it every day. I absolutely love that. Would you say that breathing, doing the breathing work, it's more important or it might come before meditation? Uh, I think it's definitely a very good way to center and, and be in your body as you uh, meditate and kind of drop out of the mind a little bit and create that stillness. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely, and it's definitely a part of, to me, it's also the key to yoga. And when I teach yoga, connecting the movement with the breath and staying present with the breath is, um, you know, offers that gift of presence and also just supports, you know, the movement itself. Yeah. Yes. Would you like to add anything before I ask you my final questions? Uh, you know, just just a note of gratitude. I've I've really enjoyed the the discussion today. I'm proud of the the creative work I've released into the world in terms of the book and plan to keep writing. But I'm so grateful for you know where I've been led and where I continue to be led. I'm grateful for the unknown and um, yeah, just a note of gratitude. So thank you for inviting me here today. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Kalista, for your presence and your incredible wisdom that can be heard, seen, and felt. So I have a few more questions. Uh, the first one is, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? I think just, you know, coming face to face with those aspects of myself that, you know, you could call shadow side that others would be uncomfortable with and that I, I can certainly be uncomfortable with. So, um, you know, I like to think of myself as we've talked about creative and independent and, and wise, but, you know, I can also be angry and petty and I've been mean and, you know, really coming face to face with that and seeing the times that I've made those choices that have been less than loving or done things that I'm not proud of. That's hard work. It's hard to see those things and to really step into them and still understand that it doesn't diminish me. It doesn't, you know, um, make me not a good person. Um, and I think finding that self-compassion has helped me to have compassion for others, but it's it's ongoing work. I mean, I still definitely come face to face with aspects of myself that I wish were different or that don't feel good. And yet they're just, to me, part of the human experience. 
I'm as human as everybody else. And darn it, sometimes I wish I wasn't. You know? <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> um, yeah, that's beautiful, though. Even to talk about the way you do, that says something. Um, yeah, says something in that sense of wisdom. Yeah, I am a lover of wisdom. And I have to say that over and over and over again. <laughs> so uh, my next question, what is another word for healing? The word that comes to mind is wholeness, to, to be made whole. Um, and I think, again, paradoxically, you can be made whole even when there's things missing. Um, so it is um, a journey. Again, much like life, we keep coming back to the journey metaphor for me. Um, it's a journey towards remembering who you are and, and having that compassion, that self-love. And, and I think there's deep healing in that. It's returning. It's a returning to wholeness again and again and again. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I think like most people, I'd like to say that I'm living every day to its best. And if something happened tomorrow, I'd leave with no regrets. And and while that's generally probably pretty true, I think if I actually knew if somebody you know told me it was going to happen soon that I was going to transition, I think the only thing I would do differently is just make the time to reach out to those that I love and let them know how much I love them and what they mean to me. Um, just make sure I had those discussions. I also would want to make amends if there was anybody that I had hurt or been hurt by. And, you know, whether that was intentional or unintentional, I think it would be important to me. We just talked about healing to leave a legacy of healing and not to leave, you know, those things unhealed if there was a way to resolve them. So I think that would be important to me too. It's interesting how you use the word transition, replacing the word die. You didn't. Is that um, just words or you see a difference between the word transition and dying? Yeah, I think to me, I mean, there's so many different ways to define each of them. And there's so many different ways that we die while we're living. Um, and right, death, right. you know, is a letting go process. But I, you know, to me, I don't believe that I'll cease to exist when my body dies. And I don't know what that looks like. I mean, I have various ideas of what I think will happen next. Um, won't get to find out till I get there. But I, to me, it is a transition or, or into another state of being, you know, where my energy is going to be that consciousness that I spoke of will be released from my body. And whether it disperses into the universe or is reborn in another form, I will get to find out someday. <laughs> yes. And uh, hopefully, as you said before, consciously aware, right? Yes. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Well, obviously, the first thing that I know is that there's not a heck of a lot that I know. <laughs> <laughs> But to be honest, it's funny. I kind of like the not knowing. I think there's something exciting about it. But gosh, what else do I know for sure? Mm, I know that everything changes. We kind of touched on that. And sometimes that's heartbreaking because things pass so quickly and there's things that you want to hold on to and wish they wouldn't change. But other times, you know, like now, there are things that are changing and hopefully for the best so it can be a good thing. Like it'll be nice when all of the pandemic stuff is behind us. And that will happen, you know, because everything is changing constantly. And then a third thing, I guess I feel sure that we're all connected, that we're just not separate. I'm pretty sure of that. Yes, uh, me too. Uh, for some reason, I'm getting that a lot. That first answer you gave, I don't know anything. <laughs> I know for sure that I don't know. <laughs> um, I think we do know what we know, I guess, but most more than anything is to practice what we know. And that's why I love about your work that it's about embodiment, becoming the things we think we know. 
or the beautiful things that we admire and the ideals becoming that or trying to manifest that those qualities so and it is a practice right that's what practice is all about is just doing it over and over again until it becomes you know who you are or how you're being yeah right right so it has been a peaceful conversation i love again your wisdom and your presence it's very powerful i have to say that uh, and that was felt before <laughs> talking to you so thank you so much for being you, being life itself in the way that you chose to make it, <laughs> it to be, to be manifested here. So that's beautiful. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? You know, the easiest way to find me is my website, which is www.callistaocean.com. Um, I do have links out to Amazon from there, um, links to my books, and I do have a blog there for those that are interested in getting to know more about my travels or my personal reflections on life. And there's ways to contact me through the website as well, too, and including social media and stuff. So just go to my website, CallistaOcean.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed our discussion. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Callista Ocean, please visit her website, CallistaOcean.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Harry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.